Christ is risen. So it'll probably be the last time I'll greet you with that uh, until after Easter. Not, of course, because Christ is not risen during, but we'll just, we'll just save it for a while and we'll say something like good morning or something like that. Uh, but before we get into 1 Peter, first of all, thanks for your uh, patience last week. I, I didn't figure it would be a problem if people came and you could visit amongst yourselves for... Um, but, uh, sorry, I wasn't here. I, I was disappointed because I wanted to tell you about something. Um, that's why I had this up here. Um, you might not recognize it. Jamie Ray Depp or Gentium. You would probably, maybe... Um, so this is, it's the basis for Savior of the Nations Come. But that's based on this Latin chant. So remember in church history we were talking about Ambrose, St. Ambrose, 300s, right? Um, he writing, writing hymns including Veni Redemptor Gentium, based on this, this chant tone. So this is, you know, from him, his time. And so that Luther takes that Latin text and Latin chant tone, and then he makes it into same notes, but just in a little bit, right? Uh, so taking something very old, making it, you know, he puts it in German, and we still have it now in English. Um, but uh, that same that same tune he used for other things uh, at the end of the service uh, these last three weeks, well, last two weeks, and then today we've sung uh, "Lord, keep us steadfast in Your Word." Services, uh, a bunch of things for how the church is run. 
uh, how the schools, the curriculum for the schools is all in here. But um, they have this thing about the ringing the bell. It says, under the papacy, a special ringing of the bell was observed morning, noon, and evening, by which the people were admonished to pray to the Virgin Mary. So, and that's what they call ringing the Angelus. The bell would ring at 6 in the morning, I think, 6 in the morning at noon, and at 6 in the evening. Um, and that was a, a call to prayer, praying to Mary, under the papacy. Uh, it says, but, because the most blessed Virgin Mary does not desire the honor due God alone, I just think it's, I just love how they appeal to Mary to say we shouldn't pray to her. Because she doesn't want it. <laughs> she would not want it. She's so pious that she would not want an honor that's, that is due to God alone. And instead of just saying, we're not supposed to pray to Mary. But shouldn't. But, but say, well, why would you do that? Mary wouldn't want that. <laughs> so, this, so you still have this respect for, for the mother of our Lord. Um, but, uh, but to say, well, she... She wouldn't want this either. But, um, and because it is also contrary to God's word. The people are to be instructed in this regard. The ringing of the bell in and of itself can be retained, as is also the case in the neighboring Reformation churches, to indicate to the people morning, noon, and evening. Moreover, the people are thereby reminded and exhorted to pray morning, noon, and evening for common peace and good government. In so doing, prayer is made at the same time for the authorities and against all enemies of common Christian peace. Um, tell, just, do you think that that's something that, that, should, that is still a need for Christians? To pray for common peace and good government? Definitely. Yeah, it sounds like it, right? Um, like this is not a, all those, you know, 16th century people, they had, you know, they had these, we have exactly the same need, yeah. Uh, uh, and are there enemies of common Christian peace? Yeah. For this reason, in the neighboring Reformation churches, it has been very appropriately referred to as ringing the prayer bell, or the peace bell. And it is Christian, good, and useful for the common people to be accustomed to it, so that they do not forget such necessary prayer. But because prayer is so often forgotten, the peal of the bell can remind them to pray such things. Whenever they hear the peace bell ringing, whether at home, in the garden, on the road, or in the field. At that time also, so, you know, it's hard to remember to pray, so let's ring a bell, let's remind them. They can do that, you know, three times a day. And then at that time also, the children in the house may be encouraged to sing, Er Haltons there by Diamond Board. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. And, or likewise, Fair Laia uns Frieden gnädiglich, which is in peace we pray, grant peace we pray, mercy, Lord. Um, so such prayer is of very great necessity in these latter and perilous days. Such prayer is very of great, very great necessity in these latter and perilous days. You know, they, they looked at themselves and said, we're, "We're living in the end times, and we we got We have this is this is really important that we would pray, especially for peace and good government." Amen. Right. Um, and so. Uh, and so then, uh, another part of this book, too, um, they indicate you know, the order of service. And they would have the same hymn at the end of every service, and it was those two. I don't know how if everyone did that or not, but the, the instructions said that. It said, at the end of the service, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word, and grant peace, we pray, mercy, Lord. So that we had it three, three Sundays in a row during the, these Jessima Sundays. That's part, part of that reason, but also it's... 
if it would be good for us to sing, you know, three times a day, for teach the children to sing three times a day, um, probably pretty good. You know, I, here I am, but I, I confess, I, your Bible class and I didn't bring my Bible. I've got it on the, <laughs> I just bring the hard copy, I've got it on here, because that's what I was working off of. Like, how did I forget that? I get one week and I don't have Bible class and I'm all, I, I, I don't know what, what I'm doing, but, all right. Well, we've got it up in front of us. We are looking at uh, verses 8 through 17, um, and we haven't started that yet, so let's read through that, those verses before we begin. Beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right. Beginning uh, in this section, what does Peter have in mind Or does Peter have in mind your relationships to fellow Christians or with outsiders? So when he says these things uh, in these first couple verses, he's got some instruction here. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil, reviling it. Bless. Okay. When when he's saying those things, does he have in mind the way that you treat uh, your fellow Christians or everyone in general? You say everyone. Um, and I think he gets there. I, I think that that's true. The words that you have, it's interesting, these initial words that he has here, um, a unity of, of mind. Um, uh, in Greek, it's homophrenes. Uh, the, the homo, like a, a homogeneous mixture or homosexual, that, that sameness. So it's of being of one mind, of the same mind, be of the same mind. Um, but but that what that does it, it suggests a a sharing. There's a like a, a, a togetherness, and then then sympathy. The sympathy is suffering together with. So th- these initial words, and then brotherly love. Like this is uh, it, it seems to be sort of a love of these first things, like a a relationship among sort of equals. So. It, like when I when I see this, I wonder if like initially when you talk about having sympathy and brotherly love, that talking about those who would 
loving together in the Christian congregation. Uh, so even though, like those who would love you, that you would have the sharing, a uh, tender heart, a humble mind. Um, with, with, and it is with regard to everyone. But there is a... If, if the Christians don't love one another, you know, if the Christians hate each other, but then they love... You know, so it's going to be, of course, all. It's going to be both. That they're doing. What's know, that? There's three or four different kinds of love. They're using brotherly love. Right. Not romantic. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, and then that's usually then listed. The brotherly love is the brother or love among equals. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but then, then in verse nine, now you have these. These might be, you know, he says, love one another. So love both. Here in verse 9, though, these are people who do not love you. You know, where he can tell the Christians, love one another. But what about the people who don't love you? Right? Um, what if they don't? You know, the Christians should respond in, in, in like manner. Do that. But, but even if they don't, do not repay evil for evil. So this, the, the, the love for them... Um, is even even if they, they give you evil or reviling, right? Instead to bless. So it is it is all, but it, but he does I think start with the brotherhood, um, and then from there love goes out. Uh, this uh, you just, you might recognize this some of this like like forth to this you are called. Back from chapter two, this is very similar. So he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Uh, back in chapter 2, get these verses. For to this, yeah, that same phrase, for to this you were called. And we had to ask ourselves, what is that calling? Is that call it to, the calling to be a Christian or specifically the call to suffering? It's kind of all of it. Um, to this you've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving the example. You've been called to suffer, sometimes unjustly. Um, and and then, then when it says he was, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, so he set an example for us. Uh, he did not do this, and so now in chapter 3, he says, okay, you, you know, do not repay evil for evil, like Jesus didn't do that and didn't revile those who reviled him, right? Um, you were, to see, to this you were called. Uh, bless that you may obtain a blessing. Um, what? Then he's going to go on, so he says, bless them. Uh, Four, and then he's going to quote these verses from Psalm 34. Uh, whoever desires to love life. So why, or what do the psalm, how do the psalm verses he quotes give the reason for blessing those who do evil to us? So he says, bless even those who do evil. Bless that you may obtain a blessing. And then he quotes these psalm verses. What do these tell us? I'll show you the psalm. Um, just so you can see. It's so often um, when, when Old Testament passages are quoted in the New Testament, of course, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek, right? And so um, when they quote, either the, the writer is trans, has a translation already, and oftentimes that's what's called the Septuagint. They had in, in the Jesus' day already, there was a translation of the Old Testament into Greek. So they can either use the Greek translation or they can translate the Hebrew there, the 
themselves, or they sometimes just paraphrase it. Um, it's not always a. It's, but so these, you have these verses. Whoever, what man is there who desires life and loves many days? Um, keep your tongue from evil. So it's, you can you can see that it is it belongs there. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears, his face. What does that tell us? How do these psalm verses give the reason for blessing those who revile, who do evil to us? Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, ears open to their prayer, face of the Lord against those who do evil. Because he's kind of saying, the reason that you should do this is because, see what it says in the Psalms? We could, I mean, so, he doesn't, the psalmist, I don't know, he doesn't specify people who do evil to you. He just says, he's just saying, whoever desires to love life, keep his tongue from evil. Don't do evil, don't let your tongue be evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil. Do good. So, like, the psalmist doesn't reference people who are doing evil to you. He just says, don't, don't do evil and do good. Because doing good is, you fill in the blank, doing good is good. <laughs> right? Um, and, and why? But, but why? In part, why? Verse 12. The Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and their, his ears are open to their prayer. So in part, it's, it's the Lord sees, the Lord hears. What does he hear and see? It, and, I, and I think it's more than simply, well, you know, why, why should you be good? Because Jesus is watching. <laughs> that is true, right? Um, you, I'm a little torn. You know the song, uh, probably. Um, it's like children's song. Will be careful, little eyes, what you see. I don't know if that's the way it starts or not. Will be, do you know that? Will be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is, faith is looking down in love. Will be careful, little eyes, what you see. Which, uh, and then it has, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Yeah, it's just got another other verses. Um, It, it kind of, I don't know if, it, if that conflates you. For why, why should you do that? Why should you be careful what you hear and what you say uh, because, because God's watching? Like that could be kind of misused like, like well, you know, watch out. It's like, it's like um, you better not, oh, you better not, you better not, I don't know the words. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming. You know, like, he sees when you are sleeping, right? And so, be good for goodness sake, like, just kind of the wagging of the finger, like, be, don't be naughty, because God's got his eye on you. I'm, I, there's truth to it, right? So God does see, and God does hear what you think he doesn't see, and what you think he doesn't hear, he does, and, and should, that, should that keep us from evil? I mean, the law of God is a curb. You know? I mean, you even do that, it's probably maybe even more for, I don't know, for some people, like, you know, when you, when you point out, well, there's something that they say or do, and, and you, you could ask them, 
um, what would your grandmother think if they heard you talk like that? And the horror, you know, someone that I very care very much about and care very much what they think. Um, and, and we say, well, what if God heard what you said? God does hear what you say. You know, for the eye of the Lord are on. But, but that's, I don't know that that's what the psalmist is getting at exactly, because it's the eyes of the Lord are on, um, in, in the Hebrew, it's towards. Uh, the, the eyes are, 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 are like turned towards. And I think, it, I think it is in a sense of the eyes of the Lord are turned towards you in, in love. Uh, because and his ears are open to the, their prayer, um, to, to the righteous. That, that the Lord hears, not, it's not that he's watching out for you to be naughty, but God cares for, for his, his children who cry out to him, who use, uh, who use their lips not, not for speaking deceit, not from evil, but they're using their tongues to cry out to him. He hears that. Um, and then his face, that's, that's kind of like the faith... You know, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We use that, you know, in a, in a good way in the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The face of the Lord can, can be, if you, want it, if you want it towards you, that's good. That's a blessing, right? The Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. His countenance, the old version, his countenance is upon you, Right? Um, but if the face of the Lord is against you, that's, that's not good. <laughs> um, and so there's both of those. There's both of those in there. So, so there's a part that says the Lord, the Lord sees and, and hears. So, so if you're in the situation that he's talking about, someone who is on the receiving end of evil... Evil for evil. Don't don't do evil for evil. Don't do reviling for reviling. But but you know say, say you're 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 dealt evilly. Is that word? <laughs> your people do evil to you, or they revile you because you're Christian. And he's been talking about this this whole this whole book. Um, the Lord sees that too. Um, and the Lord is against those who do evil, and His eyes are on you. So. Why would you need to go back and get him back if the Lord sees it? Can, can we? So I think the, a big part of this is is knowing that the Lord sees what is done. He'll take care. Like I don't need to get him back because the Lord sees it. He'll take care of it. Oh, in in. in what he says, that you may obtain a blessing. What's the blessing? The blessing is the blessing that comes from doing what is right, partly. The blessing is having the face of the Lord not against you, but, and so what we wouldn't want to do is do, you know, so to, to repay evil for evil, revile for reviling. So if, they, if their tongue is against you, if, uh, if their tongue is evil, you don't turn your tongue, you, turning your tongue to evil doesn't make it better. I mean, you heard this from your mother, right? Two wrongs don't make a right. You know, so someone says something nasty to you, to, to then use my tongue to just say something nasty back, doesn't... Pastor, when we see that word righteous, in most cases, can we say that's the believer in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Everything for us. 
us yeah. and never receiving of it because otherwise we could do all of that evil. So it's really those that love his son and believe that his son died yeah. for them and they do not have to do nothing. Yeah. So, so what do we mean? Who are the righteous? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're not talking about an intrinsic righteous. None of us have that. So the only way that we can be called, be rightly called righteous, and we are, through Christ. Yeah. So. But in the Bible in general, could in that, when you see the word righteous, can you say that? Um, I, I don't know that you always can. Um, like sometimes, be, and there, there is a part of the, of the sense, because you know, the, the righteous are righteous, yeah, first through Christ, but there are fruits of faith. You know, and so, um, and and righteousness is righteousness. Um, whether it comes, uh, we, we don't have any intrinsic righteousness, but where Christ and His righteousness live in me, then that is a righteous life. You know, and so it's a, it's a it's first appropriated from Christ, but then He works that in me, and so then you know. Of, of doing good, it is first I'm forgiven of my wretchedness, but then what is good is good, and what is right is right. Yeah. And in your comment, is it also fair to say that even though with the righteousness in us, we're doing none of the acting? Yeah. Right? Well, there, there's in, in sanctification, there's a little, there's a cooperation in the sense that he has given me new life, and now in that new life I live. And so I'm I'm a part of it, but the all the force is from him. Yeah. yeah. But that he he would allow me to participate in that. Right. That, that there's a, a cooperation with the new the new man that God has created. Right. So there's Christ. Like an acceptance there, but a lot of the work is. But it's it's the, the driving is, yeah. is 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 from him. Okay. The same thing is true of you know like our our, our willingness or our decision or our. You know, our, it, it's it's hit, worked in us first, and then he makes us alive, and now we live with um, What is so then, so after the, the psalm verses, now, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, he asks, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing what, zealous for what is good? And the, <laughs> number three asks, what's the answer to that question? Peter asks, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? How do you suppose it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be phrased? Who's, who's going to harm you if you're zealous? If, you, if, you, if what you want to do is good, who's going to harm you? It sounds like a question that kind of expects a no answer, no one. But is that the answer? Not necessarily. <laughs> Not necessarily, because he's going to go on and say, actually, if you should suffer for righteousness sake. So if you do what is good, if you do what's right, is everything going to go well? No. Oh, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna bother you if you just follow the rules? Who's going to bother you if you do what's right? And you always, you always try to do the right thing. <coughs> there, there is, yeah, someone's, someone's going to, that, that's entirely possible. So while it seems like a question initially asked to say, as if you just do what's right, who's going who's gonna to harm you? You, you, you want to say, well, it would. No one should, right? Keep your nose clean. The devil's always there trying to tempt you. Yeah. So there, the, so the, there's going to be. 
Is it generally, though, generally true? If you, um, well, who's going who's gonna to hurt you? Generally, follow the laws. Generally, things are going to go better or worse for you if you follow the rules. I mean, in a general way, right? You don't, you're not bringing it upon yourself. Um, you know, are you likely to stay out of jail if you follow the rules? Generally, you know, and I think that's reflected like in the fourth commandment. Um, you honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Generally, there's some blessing, some, some, you know, for doing what is good. There's some benefit from doing what is good. General. But it's not a universal. It's not a, well, yeah, if you're also doing good, who's going to harm you? And the answer is, um, I know some people. <laughs> they might, right? And so then so he goes on. He says, even if you should suffer, as you might. This is contrary to this. The general sense is, do good, you'll be fine. But that's not, we, we know experience, right? So, well, what then? So even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You'll be blessed. Um, what's the blessing? So number four, what blessing does the Christian receive, whether he suffers for good or not? I think the blessing would be re- what was reflected in those psalm verses. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Um, there is a blessing that comes from doing what is right. Even if no one else cares or appreciates it very much, they might, they might hate it entirely, right? Don't use your lips to, for deceit, but use your lips to call out to the Lord. There's a blessing in that. The blessing is, is the blessing of being a Christian is being a Christian. That you have, a, you have, you have Christ. Um, and, and if you are suffer, if you are, then if you suffer, you still have the blessing. Right? So if you suffer, so if you live with Christ, guess what you'll, prop, you'll do? Is you'll suffer with Christ too. That's a blessing. Right? The blessing is being with Christ. Okay? So, you'll be blessed. Uh, number 14. This is an interesting verse. Uh, at the end of verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Um, who is the them... And I didn't finish this, this sentence. I didn't finish typing it because I, I got distracted and then printed it before I could figure out how to ask this question. Um, what's the fear is what I... Or have no fear of them. And, and that's the... Who's the them? And what, what, is, what is this talking about? Um, it would seem like they're talking about somebody that doesn't like what you're doing. Yeah. So, and so it's not... It's you, if you should suffer, it's probably whoever's causing that. Don't be afraid. Don't have no fear of them. Um, in this, this is a, a case where I think that NIV is actually closer to. Uh, let me make it a little bit bigger. Do not, but I, but I'm not sure. Um, the NIV has do not fear what they fear, and that's actually what you have in the Greek. Well, actually, what you have in the Greek is do not fear the fear of them. And we don't, we don't use that language in, in English. Uh, it's called a cognate accusative where you use the same 
um, the same verb and the same noun, to fear a fear. Do not fear the fear of them. It, does that mean do not fear what they fear? Do not be afraid of what they're fearing? Or do not, is the, the fear of them, the technical term in grammar is this, this is an objective genitive or a subjective genitive, is, is who's doing the fearing? Is it something that they're afraid of or something that you're afraid of them? I think, the, I think our, maybe our first, because if we're talking about the person who's like reviling us, I think it would make sense to say, don't be afraid of that. Um, where it says, do not fear what they fear. That could be, that could be in play. Um, do not fear the fear of them. Uh, I, I th so I think, I think that makes more sense, that you would be afraid of, of these who would be reviling you. Um, you don't need to be. Why? Because you will be blessed. Don't be troubled um, by them. What's interesting here, so this, I, that's why this is highlighted, this whatever color that is. Um, even though that's not marked, if you're reading your Bible, you, you might. Uh, some of your Bibles will have a footnote, like this here, has this little E here. And that says, oh look, that's actually from Isaiah 8, verse 12. That's actually a quote from Isaiah. Uh, I'll show you the verse. It's right here. 8, verse 12. See this? Do not cons con call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear. So you've got, um, that's how they translate that in Isaiah, too. Interestingly, um, the ESV. In Isaiah, they translate it, do not fear what they fear, in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, in Peter, they say, do not fear the, or have no fear of them. Yeah. They translate it differently in different places. Same translation. Um, nor be in dread. Um, and the, so remember I told you that the, so this is Hebrew. This is Greek. That at, at Jesus' day, they had a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, the Bible, the Old Testament, like Isaiah. They had it in Greek. And this is what it is. And this is almost identical to what Peter writes. So he's quoting when he quotes that verse, even though he doesn't put quotation marks around it, he's drawing it right from this Greek translation of the... Um, so, so when you see that in... Uh on that part right there, and it says, do not call conspiracy and that kind of stuff, and then fear not what they fear. Do you still feel like it's the person, or it's the, what's being talked about? I, I'm, I'm still not 100% not sure. And that's, it's okay. It would seem yeah. more that it's talking about the governments of the places they're at is where they're going to come up with a lot of Different thoughts. Uh, opposition. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, that, the, in the context as Peter's using it, yeah, I, know. I think that, that yeah. the, the sense that he says, don't be afraid of these who would revile you or who would speak evil against you. Don't be afraid of them. Um, to, do not fear what they fear. I'm not sure if that captures it. Um, I could try to sort out the probably don't need to know, but I'm just, but it's interesting when you see it here, there's other parts of it, so I'm sure Peter, Peter didn't take it out of context, but he used just part of it. Yeah, and, and in the Hebrew too, it's, it's, uh, it's actually, 
and his fear do not fear. But what, what exactly that means. Um, but I think we can get the sense here, right? So, so you're suffering for righteousness sake. You're, you're doing what is right, but they still revile you. Uh, you suffer. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Um, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Um, and then we go into this next. Honor Christ as Lord, as holy, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Um, number six, based on the context, what will prompt others to ask about the reason for your hope? And who would might ask? So be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason. Um, why? why? Why might they ask for the reason, for the hope that is in you? So if you are doing this, you're suffering and not afraid, not, not you know, giving evil for evil, but, but, but you're calmly... <laughs> Um, honoring Christ as holy. They might ask because that's not how the rest of the world reacts to something. Because you're weird? <laughs> A little bit. Right? Because not everyone does that, right? No, that's not the normal way, right? The normal way is to punch them back. Or the normal way is to, to return tit for tat, right? And, and they might say, you're weird. That's different. Why do you, why are you the way you are? So the reason for the hope that is in you. Your hope is not dependent upon having, you know, everything equal, getting, getting what you, you know, justly deserve and what the other person deserves because, well, you know, he hit me first, you know. But because you don't need to, because you have, you have a Lord who will take care of you, whose eyes are on the evil. <coughs> righteous and he sees and he'll sees which is essentially your faith right that trust the Lord will take care of you despite um, and the Lord will defend you you know that's so that, that I love that, that closing him you know grant peace we pray in mercy Lord peace in our time oh send us for there is none on earth but you none other could defend us you only Lord can fight for us so it means I don't have to fight for myself Understand that there's times when I'm in a, you know, I, I'm not talking about never having any self-defense, right? Or never coming back, never answering someone's, you know, they accuse you of something and having an answer. You know, Jesus himself on trial, sometimes he remains silent, but sometimes he says, if I've done nothing wrong, why did you hit me? And he points out a flaw in their logic, <laughs> Right? You've, done, you've done something evil to me and I did not deserve it. Why did you hit me? He asks. So it doesn't mean never, like, but honor Christ as, as holy um, and prepare to make a difference if they ask. Why, again, why might they ask? They might, so they might ask just out of curiosity. Right? There's something different about you. I've noticed. I've noticed how you behave. When, when someone does something against you, I've noticed this, and they ask, 
tell like how do you do that? They could ask though in a more uh, aggressive manner, like they don't they don't understand it. They don't think it's necessary. Like, why do you do that? Why do you let them? Why do you? Maybe it doesn't matter how why the question comes. You know, they might ask because they're honestly curious. They're, 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 they think this is good. They might think it's stupid. They might, the question might actually come kind of as a ridicule. Why do you let them trample you over you like that? Why do you let him talk to you like that? You're like, because I have a God in heaven who grows from the dead. <laughs> He's got my back. So like I don't have to fight for myself. You only, Lord, can fight for us. Um, so the reason uh, that they ask, then, um, uh, what, what the question, next question is, what is Christian, Christian apologetics? That makes them, so the term, that when, he, when he says, always be ready to make a defense, the, the Greek term is apologian, like apology, not in the sense that we use that term for I'm sorry, for an apology to, um, the word apology uh, means a defense. That's why when we talk about the apology of the Augsburg Confession, we're talking about the defense of the Augsburg Confession. That's what the, the term means. Um, so he says, always be prepared to make, when he says, be prepared to make an apology, he's not meaning get ready to say I'm sorry. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, a reason for the hope that is in you. And what we turn that practice of making a defense from this verse mainly is, is apologetics. It's making an apology. Not I'm sorry, but a defense of my faith. Meaning, why do you believe what you believe? So if someone asks, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? What's, and and that, that word is, is important there. Um, the reason. Uh, it is, it, it's, that there's something that it's grounded on. Right? Um, and what is, so why do you believe? Why do you have that hope in you? What's the reason for it? Um, and so what? It's real simple. Well, it can be. Yeah. It is. Believe and be baptized and you're saved. Now go from there. So, so here's, here's the thing. And, and, it, and so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, you know, fantastic, like, sum of, of one's faith. Um, where where um, sometimes a further defense is maybe not needed, but it might be requested when someone asks them the question, they follow up, you say something, whatever you say, I believe, why do you believe the way you believe? And, and you answer, and they say, why? They're like a child, you know, who just continually asks, well, what, why do you believe that? And then you explain that, and they say, well, why do you, why this? And then you kind of keep on going in, in, until, well, and you could kind of keep going, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? Right? And, um, and you, you end up saying, I mean, and rightly so, right? As Christians, what do we do to say? Well, I believe it because the Bible says it. And then they ask, well, why do you believe the Bible? And I say, well, because it's the Word of God. Well, why do you believe it's the Word of God? Well, because the Bible says it. Well, why do you... Do you have to see how you end up in a circle? Um, does, so in, in apologetics, uh, defense, is there a way out of that circle where you can... You, you, you end up you having a ground that stops, you know, it's like putting a, a, a block under a wheel. It stops the wheel from rolling. Is there a block, a reason, a grounding for the, the, the faith that we have that's, um, 
And that's not to take away from what we believe. There is, and that's kind of what the field of apologetics generally does. Is this is other other things? Um, we, maybe I should say, if you want to hear more about this, come tonight at six o'clock because that's one of the things we're going to talk about with the creed. I'll give you a very very short version of it. Um, I, I I think there's three useful um, useful ones. Uh, some are more than more than others, and for each of the articles of the creed, uh, I believe in the first article. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. Second article in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, in the first article, um, creation has some grounding in why. Why do you believe what we believe? I don't know that this is the strongest one, but but it's it's a why. Why do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Why do you believe that God is the Maker of heaven and earth? Because I look around and I see the world, and it kind of looks like what God says He created. So, like things like biology, the description of God's creation in Genesis one. Um, looks an awful lot like the the way that life works now. God created them to reproduce according to their kinds. And not some other way. So sometimes it's an apologetic, like the creation stuff. It's usually an apologetic against like evolution, where someone denies the scriptures, and you say, but <laughs> but actually, what, what the scripture says actually fits observable science better than what you're saying. So that's an apologetic. Um, it's a defense. Why do you believe that? Ultimately, though, I wouldn't do that with creation because you say, why do you believe that God created the world in, in six days? I'm not going to say because of biogenetics. I'm going to say because Jesus. Because I believe Jesus. I think the second article is the strongest one. That's the resurrection because that had eyewitnesses. And God made, God made it very important, and he records it in the scriptures, that there were eyewitnesses, that there's testimony, and it's written down. And, and that's, that's kind of important because it happened. So all it is is to say, why do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I say, because it happened. How do I know that it happened? There are witnesses. I do believe this because the scripture says it. But why do I believe the scriptures? Because it's true. Because it happened. How do I know it's true? There were eyewitnesses. <laughs> and they wrote it down. Um, and then the third thing in the third article I would point to is the, the, the scriptures. They say, you say, why do you believe the Bible? It was a bunch of made-up stories. And I say, no, it wasn't. How do you know it wasn't? Because there's evidence. Right? There's, there's a gazillion copies of the New Testament and, then, and the text of the Old Testament. Why do I believe uh, the, that the scriptures are correct? Because Jesus says so. Why do I believe him? Because he rose from the dead. How do I know that from the scriptures? How do I know that the scriptures are true? Well, there's... I can read it in Hebrew and I can compare that to really old documents that to, to shut down someone who says, well, you don't really know that that's what, you know, so-and-so wrote. I think, well, actually. <laughs> if you're talking to a professor, you probably are at to agree to disagree. Because they, they are right in there. It, 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 it depends on, on who you're talking to and, and how much background you have. Um, they studied, yeah. and then they believed that. Yeah, and the danger, you're talking to a professor who knows all this stuff, and he corners you and say, and then you're left with, well, you know, I guess I just, I just, I just hope that it's true. Um, it becomes less certain than that it, we'd, we'd want it to be. You want to have this conviction that... You won't change their mind. No, probably not. Um... 
So, uh, so what is what is Christian apologetics? Christian apologetics is simply doing what what St. Peter encourages to having a reasoned defense for the faith that's in you, so that you're not just and and someone might think a lot of people probably think that Christians are just dumb dumb blockheads who just believe whatever they're told, um, and we want to believe what we're told if it's from Jesus. How do we know it's from Jesus? How do we know Jesus is real? How do we know that he you know like so we have some, we have a reality and a confidence that what it is that we have has a reason, and the reason is in reality. <laughs> it's real. It's not just fake. It's not just this thing that we pre- we we well we believe. Well, whether it ever happened or not, I don't know. But I, but I really believe it. It had to happen. And what happened was real. God created the world, the world that you see, for real. Like, that's not just a story to try to explain how our universe came to be. And, you know, like, well, here's so that you can understand it. God, you know, formed Adam out of the dust. Of, that's what happened. Um, Jesus really rose from the dead. That's, it's not just a, a hope for new life that we have because we have the story of someone kind of coming up. Jesus was dead and is alive. And he lives still. That is incredibly important to my faith. And the reason for that. I can give the reason why I believe it simply because it happened. How did it happen? Jesus saw to it that he was seen. Jesus wanted there to be evidence. Um, That's why he appeared to them. Um, And that's why he had it written down. And that's why then that, that testimony of the scriptures has been transmitted that we have the scriptures as they were written. And we can be confident of that. There's evidence of that too. So no one can pull the wool over our eyes and say, well, you know, the Bible's just like a big game of telephone. And how can you know that what, what was said way back then is what's written on the page today? And, and you might not have the tools to go back and look at the documents. If you want to, I can show you. I can show you how to do it. And we can look at it and learn if you want to. <laughs> but it, it's there. Now, we're not just groping into the darkness and, well, we believe this, but, you know, yeah. All right. Explain the importance of gentleness and respect in apologetics. So, do this. Make a reasoned defense. It says having a good conscience, or uh, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why is that important? It would be easier to talk to people gently and respectfully than trying to fight to kind of bash them in, yeah. And that's a temptation, and that's why he says, yeah, do it. Because <laughs> here's the thing, you're going to be right. But be nice. <laughs> you know, it does, it, it does you no good to be right, but then to lose, you know, it, it, to just be a jerk about it, right? So you, so you do this with gentleness and respect. And, and sometimes people, they won't understand. But you treat them with respect, um, to be gentle, to not beat them over the head with it. How you, you fool, how come you can't see this? How come you don't believe it? You know, they ask you why you believe it, and you're like, well, why don't you? It's obvious, dummy. You know, like, who do that? We have to do this, and, and it, would be, it would be a danger to, to kind of browbeat people like what well why are you so dumb that you don't believe you know any more than you would want them to treat you the same way 
do this with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So that they're continuing. Like, if you're suffering for doing evil, that's not, that doesn't help you. So don't do, don't do the evil. Still having a good conscience so that you know if you're being mistreated, you're being mistreated and not being treated appropriately because you were a jerk. Yeah. Uh, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. How does verse 17 uh, avoid a kind of Christian uh, masochism um, of, of searching for evil? Like I'm just looking for getting, getting beat up. Um, to say that Christians aren't looking for a fight. They aren't looking to get uh, to suffer. Like suffering, suffering is you know, a cross that is something that Jesus gives to us. But it's not something we're looking out, out for. How does verse 17 help with that? It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Could be this phrase here. If it should be God's will. Right? We're not automatically looking for suffering. We're not, we're not gonna create it. And it's also like, is it possible that we could somehow avoid it sometimes? We're, we'll, we will receive it if it is God's will. How do we know that? Well, one of the ways that we know it is that our behavior would be good and that we would keep a good conscience, right? Um, if, if you are a jerk and someone, you know, beats on you for being a jerk, then, then you can't say that that suffering is God's will. You know? I, and I'm not saying that you necessarily deserve it. Well, maybe we do. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? That you can't, if, if, if you buy, you know, you're right and you're going you're gonna to stamp on everyone who's wrong, um, and, and you don't do that with gentleness and respect, and then, then you suffer for it. You, you, no one likes you because you're a jerk. Um, and then you say, poor old me, I'm suffering as a Christian because I'm... <laughs> if, it, if, it, if that should be God's will. Um, it would not be God's will for you to um, beat up on other people and yell at them and be obnoxious to them. And, and then claim that you're suffering unjustly. Peter was preaching this, right? He's writing it to the Christians, yeah. Yeah, and so he had an audience that he was talking to. And I'm sure there were a lot of men that didn't agree with what he was saying. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it was received. Yeah, but they're but they're Christian congregations, yeah. you know, and so this is this is you know this they're sitting in, in they're receiving a letter from the apostle, who um, and taking it for what it is, and I hope that they took it for what it, you know they they took it and said this is what my Lord through his sent one has well, has given they would me. Probably more to the government that was evil. Yeah, and, and it, like we said at the beginning of the letter, they were beginning to see these things or hear about these things in other places. The heavy persecution like you had in Rome wasn't happening here yet in Asia Minor, but it, but it was becoming uncomfortable. It was, it was like there, there was stuff going on, but it wasn't like the empire-wide persecution yet. Um, but how do, you, how do you do that? How do you prepare? Um, and so we are out of time. Shall we close with the doxology?